0: Hello, college football fans, and welcome to the 100th special episode of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz. Today, I'm joined once again in person by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college
1: football fans, and
0: 100 episodes. Holy cow. I know, right? And joining us uh, over the interwebs today is uh, uncle slash brother uh, AJ Schmitz. Hello, everyone. And congratulations, guys, on your 100th episode. Thank you. That's right. Yes, we started this sucker back up in uh, 2015, summer of 2015. And uh, we've been doing them pretty consistently this whole time. So yeah, we've finally made it up to 100. Pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, And to commemorate this special episode, we decided that uh, since uh, there's not a ton positive to talk about the Huskers right now, we're going (laughs) to rewind time a bit and uh, talk about the 1995 season and specifically the 96 Fiesta Bowl game between Nebraska and Florida. Uh, that proved why this team was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of all time. So, uh, as we dive into that, uh, of course, I was born in 1993, so I don't have very distinct memories of this, even though apparently I was on Dad's lap (laughs) while he was watching the game. Uh, But, of course, in the build-up to that game, there was the 95 season, in which Nebraska played three different teams that were all ranked in the top ten, and uh, just in general, the offense was just so crushingly dominant, and the defense swallowed up all these teams. You know, you have scores like against Arizona State of 77 28 or 57 to nothing against Missouri, uh, even against number seven Colorado, 44 21. You know, so um, AJ and dad, you guys obviously lived through that season and got to enjoy. The weeks of dominance, as it played out. So, can you reminisce a bit about what that was like?
1: Oh well, the thing is, is that um, what really made that
2: season unique was I. Hang on, me, hang on a second there, Hang on a second there, Aren't we forgetting something? Oh, the beverage.
0: <laughs> oh yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> so anxious to
1: get in the meat. We are. Yes. So, AJ, uh, why don't you tell us what beverage you're, you're drinking? Although I have no doubt what it is. <laughs> Michelob
2: Ultra as mm-hmm. always.
1: Michelob Ultra. All righty. And Alex is drinking just a, a simple standard light beer from Miller. The, the 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 light beer of choice of many many uh, Americans and uh I am drinking uh, one of the uh, last of my Shells Brewing Company Firebrick Vienna Style Amber Lagers and I just I just really love this beer. And it's from uh, August Shell Brewing Company. Um, which was founded back in 1860, the second oldest brewery in America. So cheers, fellas, and here we go.
0: Okay. All right. Yes. Thank now you. it's appropriate. Yes. Thank you for reminding me, AJ. I'm mm. <laughs> thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> me too, actually. <laughs> so so the thing
1: is, is that what was so uh, unique for me, anyway, uh, relative to this um this particular season of '95 and then into that '96 uh, festival was the fact that after many many years of being an avid fan of the team, um, um, they um, they were struggling and struggling and struggling, but right on the edge of you know winning a championship. Then finally they did it in '94, and and I so distinctly remember that experience of when we won that first one. But then to have the whole offseason in which we understood that we had a lot of talent coming back. And we had a tremendous amount of young talent that was emerging during that 94 season. And then so I think Nebraska had this quiet confidence. Certainly their team did, and that showed throughout the season. But even among the fan base, there was this quiet confidence that we thought we had a chance to be really special with Tommy, Frazier, Uh, coming back, and uh, Brooke Baringer and just depth and talent everywhere, and we just needed our offensive line, which lost four of its five starters uh, to graduation, that was the one big question mark, but, you know, having seen a lot of the younger kids play, because we had dominated so much in 94, uh, we knew we had talent there, it wasn't like these people were unknowns, Right. Today's day and age, you know, we're starting so many freshmen and sophomores and redshirt freshmen on the offensive line. It's a very different picture than when you were able to watch a season and see guys who were a backup, but they would get 20 snaps a game, 30 snaps a game as the backup. So you knew what they were capable of. And uh, they weren't afraid to put their whole second-team offensive line in in the middle of a game. I don't know that anybody does that anymore, you know? So that was what was unique about that. And then to actually watch it unfold, and I think they were even better than I thought they were going to be. Um, and then, and then, of course, leading up to the game, uh, there was so much hype, and there was all this, you know, acrimony, uh, I would say, about how great Florida's offense was. And really, Nebraska's old, ploddy style was kind of poo-pooed in the whole buildup to that game and yet Nebraska fans and the Nebraska team obviously knew what they had and then they came out and just showed it and it was awesome <laughs> what's your thought AJ
2: well, that uh, what you brought up earlier about the offensive line that's what i mostly remember about about that was that to replace four guys that's tremendous to be able to replace four guys and dominate the way they did that was super impressive by the Offensive line coach. Well, I can't remember his name right now, Pete. You'll remember. Milt nope, Uh Tenner. That's what I was going to say, and then I thought, no, no, that wasn't. But anyway, he uh, he did a heck of a job bringing those guys along, like you said, '94, and even the year before that, um, bringing them along, and and for them to be as dominant as they were against pretty much every team they played, that's that's really something. I mean, that was a tremendous thing, and and again like you you'd mentioned you know going into the game itself there was just there was very few pundits and fan bases that gave us a prayer to win that game and to come out and dominate it and the even though the score was large it wasn't even that close you
1: you, you know you're <laughs> you're right aj we as we were watching it last night in fact there were a couple of things number one um one of uh uh, Florida's scores. You know, they they scored 24 points, but one of their touchdowns was it, it would have in this era of uh, video review been called back uh, because the guy was out of bounds. Uh, right. But in in that at that time they didn't have review, and so it was a, right. it was called a touchdown, and it was a it was very close. But but if you had the benefit of video review, um, you know, e- e- even the commentators. Um, um, the the old UCLA coach um, um, Donahue was the McAfee. no Donahue was the 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 uh, commentator and he said well they might have got away with one that was his top yeah. comment because you know there was no reviewing it so it, it was what it was so frankly they they didn't they didn't get that that particular uh, touchdown t- touchdown and then you know having Christian Peters two points pulled off the board which was completely absurd you remember at the end of the game on that. And then we yeah. we took a knee on the last play of the game, and poor Sims, you know the our 15 running back who was uh, yeah. who got that great run uh, near the last play of the game, and he lunged to get to the goal line and missed it, and we were on the half yard line, and then they sent Terminator in there, and uh, Matt Turman just took a knee for the last play of the game, and so we we easily could have scored there, and it would have been you know 73 uh, or so to. Uh, uh, well, 18.
0: Actually, yeah, the uh, so the final score of the game was of course 62 24. But if all those things play out, as Dad just described yes, it, it actually would have been 71 yes. 18. so 71 more of a, a lopsided score. And then that if, yeah, if that had been the case, that would have been the largest point spread of a number one versus number two ever. I think the the one that per, uh, superseded us was the 1945 Army versus Notre Dame game where Army won 48 to nothing mm. so that that's wow. the most lopsided one apparently interesting um but yeah it was uh it was fun for me to watch the different pregame stuff because, Dad, you sent me some YouTube videos of the what the pundits were saying at the time. And there were, I would say it was probably more like 60-40. Like, there were still plenty of people who were choosing Nebraska, you know, since we were the defending national champions. Um, But it was funny, like, you know, Lee Corso thought it was a really close game, and so he thought the difference in the game would be the fact that we were playing on natural grass, natural turf on... For the first time. Right, for the first time this season, even though Tom Osborne said, oh, we practice on grass regularly and we won on grass last year in, you know, our, our game against Florida State. So, you know, we don't really think it's a big deal. Like, Tom Osborne and the players were all like... We think they're making a, a big deal out of nothing here. And uh, that's definitely what it turned out to be. It didn't seem like the grass uh, slowed them down at all in the running game. <laughs> um, you met
2: Miami there.
0: Oh, Miami last year? The previous year? Well, th-
2: the year before.
0: Okay, my bad. Uh, in the, uh, Right, uh 95.
1: I didn't hear the comment, so I, I missed it. A bit. <laughs>
0: I was talking <laughs> he
2: about... He was talking about... He was talking about the year before, and and you know beating Florida State. Oh,
1: they oh, didn't beat, uh, you beat mean Miami? Yeah. Oh, when we almost beat Florida State? You mean the eighteen well, sixteen
0: loss? No, I was referring to the ninety five game because I thought that was Florida State. But it's the, Florida. The point the point was when we uh, when we won the championship the previous year. That was also in a grass field. Oh, and right. Clearly, we yes. won. So, got it. Got yes, it. Got it. that's. But that was against Miami. Yes, that was against Miami. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. I get it. Yep, I get
0: it. Yeah. And it's worth noting just in terms of the dominance like I mentioned we played three different top 10 teams over the course of the regular season and uh, none of them were close. Uh, number 8 Kansas State 49-25, number 7 Colorado 44-21, number 10 Kansas 41-3 and then coming right off of a game against our rival Oklahoma where we shut them out 37 to nothing, you know, with a, just a dominant display by the defense not letting him do anything right uh, but that's
2: when... as good a, that's as good a game as I think that in the big eight big 12 big six whatever it was that we had at that time <laughs> that was as that was as good a game as I'd ever seen that that they just hammered Oklahoma and Oklahoma at that time you know rebuilt every year that, that just reloaded every year I should say just like Nebraska was at that time so they were a very good team but uh it, it, to beat uh, a team like that you know and shut them out that really gave the guys a whole lot of confidence
1: well and and it was it was truly a defensive uh, dominated performance too and and that was what was so unique about this team was not only were we very physically dominant offensively this was a team that averaged 400 yards a game rushing the football um uh, and like you said they beat 3 Top ten teams during the regular season, but then they beat Florida, so there was actually four. It was Kansas right. State, Colorado, Kansas, and Florida. So, uh, uh, so you had a team that was from a league that had four top ten teams. So, four of the top ten teams were all from the Big Eight, right. okay? Half the conference, and half the conference, exactly. And then you beat Florida in the championship game, you know, in dominant fashion with over 500 yards of rushing. Um, and over 620 or 630 total yards uh, in the entire game. And frankly, Tommy threw two picks. He played like crap as a quarterback. He played phenomenally as a leader and as a runner, uh, uh, running our, our our option-based system. But his throwing numbers—I think he was like six of, of uh, fifteen. Six of fifteen. I mean, can you? We, yeah. we, we complain about you know our quarterbacks today, yeah. but.
0: Tommy wasn't any better as a thrower. No. No. Um, yeah. What's interesting, though, because I rewatched that whole Oklahoma game before all this. And, yeah, the offense did struggle in that game, you know, because uh, like two half of our points in that game were just off of pick sixes by the defense because the defense was just so freaking amazing. Um, but offensively, you know, Oklahoma's speed was able to kind of catch up with our option style of play. Um So I think that did leave a little bit of doubt going into this game against a talented Florida team. Um, And in the first quarter, it was uh, kind of a back-and-forth affair. I believe Florida was up 10-6 to because they blocked one of our extra points. Um, So, you know, in the first quarter, they kept throwing to that Donahue guy – connected to him over and over again you know so first quarter it was you know kind of a, a battle between the two sides but after that the, the the remaining three quarters was all nebraska all the time and um they ended up having negative 28 rushing yards just because of how many times we uh pushed them backwards
1: well yes. and and here's what's so significant about that is people were so sure that florida was not only a good football team but one of the top two uh uh, that after that game, after that shellacking, Florida remained number two, and the reason is because the number three team was Tennessee, and the number three Tennessee Volunteers had been beaten by Florida 62 to 37. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, the reality is is that uh, it was one of those things a little bit like people feel about this year. In now we fast forward to 2020 with uh, Clemson and uh, and uh, Alabama uh, seemingly being so so much better than everyone else around them that they're that clearly the best two teams kind of thing and that's what people think um uh but obviously we'll see what plays out there but but it was just amazing that that this team was able to do the things that they did and and they did it like uh, uh another commentary that I had forgotten about during the game uh was this was in the third quarter AJ and um um Mike Rucker and um Gosh, I'm trying to think of who the other young man was, but who was a sophomore at the time, and was our third team defensive end, and another a linebacker who was a third team linebacker had sacks on back-to-back plays of Danny Werfel, and and they were the third team players playing in the third quarter.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, that was.
2: Uh, I, I do remember that. That was pretty spectacular yeah uh, i'm trying I mean, to think of that that linebacker's name and i can't think of it either the
1: the, the depth was just ridiculous yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Well, i think that goes to also to coaching at that time there too i mean they that the guys were used to having to put in their time yes whereas today shoot if they aren't playing by red shirt freshman year they're looking to transfer
1: right
0: well right well or, or yeah exactly and, right But, and we talked about that yesterday. Dad and I did a little bit. You know, it took years to get to that point, though years of Tom Tom Osborne, you know, building up the reputation of the program, you know, constantly getting to the Big Eight Conference Championship, right? And competing for, you know, being in the mix for national championships and things like that. So, you know, then the seniors who are playing well and have proven success on the field get the respect from the younger guys, you know. And where we are right now as a Nebraska team is that the seniors can't command that respect because they've just had four win seasons, you know, back to back to back or whatever. Right. Um, Right. Right.
1: Well, but getting back to the subject of the 96 team and the 96 uh, game and the 95 season was uh, just the uh, I mean, the, 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 statistics are, are obviously very impressive. A couple of others that come to mind are that were stated uh, during the pregame of the, pro, uh, of the broadcast was, you know, that, that offensive line gave up zero sacks for the entire season. Not one.
2: No kidding. Yeah. I did
1: not know that. Yeah, I know. Holy I, cow. I had forgotten. How is that, that. possible? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. And, and then, um, um, what else? Uh uh, well, the, then, just the the 400 yards rushing per game to me, you know, when you think yeah. about what that means, because we we obviously had had great rushing teams and won the rushing title many many years, in, uh, uh, you know, during the Osborne era, but I don't know that we had ever run for 400 a game, right? And uh, and we were doing it against top notch competition too. That was the thing that really made it special. Was it's not like we were playing, you know, uh, a a week schedule. And, and that's what made that team so special. Um, and they just had a single-mindedness, and they talked about the love of team and, and how that, that was like the pinnacle of Tom developing that. And then that maintained, frankly, even through the ninety six season where they had the disappointing loss uh, down at Arizona State, and then they came back all the way to where if they had won in the championship, the Big 12 championship against Texas, they would have been competing for another national title. As it turns out, they they lost that game. Uh, but that, that, that love of team carried all the way through to the end of Tom's time after the 97 uh, championship was done. So um, it was just, uh, it was an amazing thing. And you listen to those guys talk, also matter of fact, also mature and, and really understanding the concept that, you know what, the fun and the joy is in being excellent and having success. That, that game day and winning on game day was was the single most important thing to having fun playing football, and those guys had a blast playing football, right? Uh, but they were intensely competitive in everything they ever did. Um, uh, we we rewatched a, a portion of a video uh, that I have um, called "Reflection on Perfection," uh, and uh, they show a, a, a snippet of of uh, uh, Aaron Taylor and another offensive lineman who I can't remember, and then Grant Wistrom and Jay, uh, 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 Christian Peter playing doubles in tennis at the, uh, at the hotel before <laughs> the game, and it was hilarious. But you could tell the incredible intensity and competitiveness of each one of those athletes.
0: Um, um, yep, it was shirts versus O-line. O-line, yeah. And it was it, awesome, and, they, and, and yet they all loved it. They all had a great time. Right. And you'll remember as well from some of that pregame stuff that it was just four days after the victory against Oklahoma and that kind of Thanksgiving break that uh, Tom called the players back and to start prepping for the bowl game. And that was a change, you know, from past years where he, he had let there be more of a break. I mean, he felt that that had. Uh, Um, played a factor in some of their bowl losses also a factor a big factor was that um, this bowl game was the fiesta bowl not the orange bowl whereas in so many of the past uh, or past bowl games over the 90s right we're at the orange bowl against florida state or miami or florida you know so they basically get a home game uh at the bowl whereas uh this one being out in arizona the stadium was like 70 percent red you know and this just rocking and florida couldn't even hear their own play calls It was a better
2: field, too. I mean, Pete can tell you that it didn't just go into the 90s. It was in the 80s, throughout the 80s, and probably even before that, because we were attached to the Orange Bowl Bowl for so long, and we played in that year after year after year, it seemed like, and that place was nothing but painted sand by that time of the year. (laughs) It It was terrible. That was a terrible field, and there was a lot of kids that got hurt, Yep. And they just couldn't, they really, and they were used to playing pretty much on good uh, good uh, grass or playing on turf, and they just couldn't get their 50. So every year it seemed like we were playing an away game on a crappy field, and yeah. it seemed to get us every doggone year throughout wow. this. I don't really remember the 70s that much, but I do, except for maybe midway through the 70s and beyond. Uh, But there was a lot of years where we played down there, and it just – it was terrible.
1: I agree. I agree completely. And uh, um, that field at the Florida – at the Fiesta Bowl was bad, Um, but it was nothing like the Miami uh, uh, Orange Bowl field, which you're right, was painted sand and ridiculous. And then they always had those massive – halftime performances. And I remember the year in 83 when we lost, when Tom went for two and lost, you know, one of the big controversies before the game, because Tom, who is usually fairly compliant as a person, you know, I mean, he, he tries to do the right thing and get along and all that sort of stuff. He was livid angry, okay, before the game, because they had this massive uh, Orange Bowl halftime show. Uh, and... um it included elephants <laughs> i'm not kidding you live elephants and so they they had practiced the halftime show and then nebraska went on the field to practice right and there were huge massive divots and you know tear, torn up things for where these elephants were right. and uh and he was livid right and he's like that's got to get fixed and of course they painted it you know, I mean, the thing was a trash heap the whole game. And so we had some serious issues with being able to run an option offense where you're wanting to plant and turn on an option, you know, to go get around the corner. You can't do that. And and, and, oh. and if you know the field and you're a wide receiver, you know the spots to go to and turn and then have the defensive back slip on the, the sand that's right in front of them, that type of thing. So there's a huge home field advantage when you have a field that, that is
0: that shitty. Right. I hadn't heard about the elephants before. That's pretty funny. Um, one last note on the overall like, season stats, like you were mentioning earlier, uh, about 400 rushes per game, seven yards per attempt on average. And it says that we uh, averaged more than 50 points per game, even though Frazier didn't comp- even complete 100 passes on the season. Right. So it just shows you how often we were just running it, running it, running it, and it was working. Right, you know, beating teams by an average of thirty-eight point seven points per game.
1: Well, and that, and okay, so that's gonna uh, that's gonna be a great transition. And AJ, uh, I'll let you make comments after I do mine because I think you'll have some. <laughs> uh, and that is, let's talk philosophy. Okay, Tom Osborne viewed his option-based offense. He viewed the option as a pass. Okay, he said that's our short passing game. Okay? He thought nothing of running an option play on a 3rd and 7. Okay? Mm-hmm. That was our passing game. That was our short passing game. That was our ball control, get first downs passing offense, okay? Um and uh uh so when people asked him you know about why he didn't throw it more, it was it was a philosophical thing where he understood the value of uh, you know getting numbers, getting uh, the, the team that he was playing against in bad situations where they were outnumbered and then taking advantage of that, right? And when you option, when you run an option, that's what you're doing. You're basically removing a guy from your blocking mech. I'm not going to block that guy. I'm going to option him. So I'm going to bring a runner at him and that, that, that defender is going to have to make a choice, tackle me or tackle the pitch man, right? But he can't have both, right? So if you run it properly. So... Uh, you have effectively made it 11 on 10. And that is so important to his system. And so there was philosophies like that. And that's just one of many. And in this uh, um, this game, it was the pinnacle of how he approached his relationship with his players, how they practiced, which was very intensely and violently. Okay, They were not afraid to get injuries during practice because they had depth. And it was next man up. If somebody got hurt in practice, which, which happened, well, it was the next guy. Was, and his job was to step up and be as good as the guy before, right? And, and that's what happened. Um, and uh, so, yes, they had great strength and conditioning. Yes, they had, you know, nutrition system that was top of the line, all that sort of stuff. And those were great advantages that they had. But by the mid-'90s, most teams had caught up for the most part with Nebraska in some of those areas. But what they didn't have was they didn't have the level of execution and they didn't have that commitment to excellence and that tiered uh leadership from senior down to freshman right of understanding your place and and how you had to work work your way up the ladder so to speak and none of that exists in our current program and that's you know that's what scott's talking about when he talks about trying to get old and stay old But I'm not sure he's doing it exactly the way he should be, uh, but I know he understands that because he was part of that, okay? He understands that. What he doesn't get is uh, I think he's going at it from the philosophy of his offensive system versus Tom's, and that's part of the problem. But anyway, uh, I just think there's some tremendous philosophical things there that you you learn when you listen to those players, you know, during interviews, and it's like, God – that's what we're missing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What's your thoughts on all that, AJ? Uh,
2: well, he hit it uh, depth. It was, you know, the guys knew that they had to earn their way, uh, you know, up. And we had so much good depth that um, it, you know, the uh, we didn't have guys leaving all the time. We didn't have, um, you know, problems with players and, and things. Uh, when it when they when they did, they were corrected rather quickly normally um it just it was a whole different deal where they don't have it now i mean shoot we don't even have a a a, a too deep i mean it's (sighs) yeah so it's it's pretty hard on him to try to get things going but i i don't know i it's uh back then uh I'm not sure if in ninety in the ninety mid nineties, did we still have a, a bigger scholarship? Uh, yes, we had 95, ninety-five. Ninety-five versus
1: eighty-five. So we had ten more scholarships. But, yeah. but but the thing, AJ, is is that you know, you know who our wide receivers were um uh during that <laughs> it didn't, game? It didn't matter exactly. They could it bond. was it was Reggie Ball, Brendan Holbein, yeah. you know. I mean, we didn't have a star and Cluster Johnson. Those were our three wide receivers. Okay. Now, Cluster was a, a, a recruit, a, a scholarship player, but Holbein and uh, and Reggie were uh, walk-ons. walk-ons. And then our punter uh, Jesse Cush, who was uh, uh, who became an All-American, was a walk-on. And then uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, Vanden
2: Bosch, uh, Kyle
1: Vanden Bosch. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah. He played a long time in in, in the NFL too. Yes, he camp. did. But I mean,
1: it, it was just a whole different deal when you were when you were dealing with walk-ons like that. And then and then when you think about the second teamers and the third teamers, especially along the offensive line, it was littered with walk-ons who would play a few snaps a game. Uh, maybe they would start for half a season while a while a scholarship player earned his way. Right now, what happens to us? We either play those. Scholarship kids, when they're young, and we live with their uh, failures and their learning process, uh, or they quit, or they get disillusioned, and they don't keep trying. They don't keep fighting. The perseverance aspect of this is so fundamental, and all of those guys talk about it. Heck, Damon Benning, who's obviously a a very successful radio personality in, in Nebraska now, he talks quite openly about the number of times that he wanted to quit, and and he his roommates talked him out of it uh, because he was in a running back room where he knew he was good enough to play for most places, and yet there he was sitting fourth on the depth chart, and then he finally gets his chance. He plays for a couple of games, gets hurt, and then Amon Green is behind him, and <laughs> the rest is history. That's th-
0: it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Game's over on that one. Um Right. One interesting thing to watch in this game was just the, uh, you know, that that good old-fashioned play calling that we all love from uh, Tom Osborne and from the rest of the coaching staff. You know, it's just obviously a very well-prepared game plan. You mentioned, Dad, that you remembered from the radio broadcast that after the first quarter when Florida scored their touchdown and they were up 10-6 to and we were losing, he he said to everybody on the radio, like, don't worry, everybody. I've seen enough to know we're going to dominate this team. Right. we're winning in the trenches. It's going to be all right. You know, very much turned out to be true. Um, and there were certain things like we noticed, um, uh, where, uh, Tom called the QB draw for Tommy and he would go out to the outside, you know, to try to beat guys to the edge a couple times. And then later on like the third quarter, or fourth quarter, we ran it where he just waited for half a second and then just went straight up the middle and there was a giant hole and he went, Right for a touchdown. It
1: it was a it was the same play call. We went out to five wides and the first few times we did it, we ran it with a blocking scheme to run it to the outside. And Tommy had some success on the on those two plays, AJ. And then in the third time we ran it, we ran a trap play. And Aaron right up, Taylor right Aaron Taylor, yeah. the left guard, just nails this guy in the ear hole and opens up the frickin' Red Sea. And Tommy just waltzes into the end zone 50 yards.
0: Yep. Or on the defensive side of things, we noticed the the zone blitz, how our defensive coordinator had, like, kind of brainstormed that, and he may not have been the very first person to use it in college football, but he was one of the first. Yeah, I
1: think it was the first time uh, it was ever used, uh, uh, the zone blitz scheme in college football was during that game. We had never, Nebraska had never used it before, and at that time the zone blitz was a new newer concept that was just starting to be used by uh, none other than uh, uh, Monty Kiffin at uh, Tampa in his Tampa 2 defense, you know, that it was winning Super Bowls.
0: Right. And the it was very clear that their offensive line didn't know what was going on, and we got seven sacks on their quarterback, including one safety. Well, uh, so.
1: and most of those sacks are guys unblocked. Not yeah. touched, okay? They they they, <laughs> they didn't even know what was going on. Their offensive line, their heads were spinning.
0: Yeah. Uh and I was also surprised that uh I they had mentioned the pregame that uh Florida's special teams wasn't great, you know, and that their field goal kicker had missed a lot that season, things like that. But that really did turn out to be a big factor because there were a lot of series where we were starting it on our own 40 or further up the field just because they would get bad punts or our defense was just pitting them deep. So we were winning the field possession war regularly. Um, So that that turned out to be a, a pretty big factor as well. AJ, do you have any comments? We still got you? No,
1: no, you guys have okay. covered it, man. Okay. okay. Well, but now here's, here's something I, I want you to say, because this was a subject of Alex and I as we were watching the game last night too, which is that um, um, they have a – or we had a tradition of being the top special teams in the country, or at least one of them every year. We always had a great kicker. We always had a great punter. And typically, we had a darn good return guy who was solid, if not spectacular, going all the way back to Johnny Rogers, frankly, in the 70s, early 70s. Um, but but as I look at our our special teams, they were phenomenal. And they were just always so well thought out. Like, we in the second half, we had a, a punt return set up uh, where when we would uh, stop them uh, on on their own side of the field where they were punting up near their you know their own goal line or whatever so the risk of them running a fake was virtually zero we would have three guys back to catch punt because Tom had a philosophy that he'd never wanted the ball to touch the ground on a punt right he he wanted you to catch it even if it was a fair catch it was to be caught and I'm looking at that and i'm I, and it's and it made all these memories flush back to me about how important kicking game. Tom didn't even call it special teams; he called it uh, offense, defense, and kicking game.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't remember that at all that 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 they were that good. I remember having kickers because they always had. it Seems like they've always had a kicker. Yeah, and uh, I don't. I didn't remember the rest of that. That's now, uh, that's pretty impressive. You and you can do all three. Uh, you do all three. Um, phases of the game properly and you're going to win a good percentage of your games oh yeah yeah. so he knew that you know and then you just repeat just you know just keep doing it keep keep doing it exactly the way you've been doing it dan young works out dan young was the assistant offensive line
1: coach and the special teams coordinator for nebraska and he was phenomenal absolutely phenomenal
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and uh Just going back to the stats again real quick, Um, we did end up having 524 rushing yards total off of 68 attempts, uh, whereas they had negative 28. Passing yards, they had 297, uh, whereas we had 105, and Tommy threw two interceptions, both of which were on third and longs, where he was clearly trying to force something he shouldn't have been, and honestly, ugly Ugly interceptions.
2: <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was going to say, Alex. They were ugly.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were. They were. But hey, but then, you know, Tommy gets his amazing runs where he's just making guys miss, fall off him, you know, They're over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I, I saw this fun quote as I was doing my research, which I thought was pretty good. This is from James Bates, a Florida linebacker. He said uh, we saw in the film that when nebraska ran a lot of non-option plays teams were there but they just couldn't make the tackle Danged if that didn't happen to us too because <laughs> <laughs> there were uh, like the the famous tommy fraser one where he just breaks through like five guys and runs 70 yards for a touchdown you know i mean it re- it was kind of some bad tackling on florida's part but also you know that's us tiring out their defense over the course of a game exactly they just got tired. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: those dive plays. It's it's trying to tackle, you know, a monster like Lawrence Phillips and a speed power guy like Amon Green and, you know, eventually that that wears on you
0: and you just don't have it. Uh, yeah. Even
1: if you're there, you're not there.
0: <laughs> right. Or even you'll remember that one great Lawrence Phillips run, which we rewound a couple of times where he makes some great plants to make guys miss and is just shifting his body so well and just yeah. goes along the sideline for a touchdown, you know, speeds away once he gets past three guys or whatever. If that
1: guy didn't have, you know, his head wrong and chemistry wrong in his brain or whatever, God, he could have been something. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, that's. I was just thinking the same thing, Pete. That, that he was just tremendous, and he had a natural instinct like OJ and like uh, you know Dickerson and yeah. And I, I just you know his head was just too messed up.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yep. On uh, the whole game as well, we had uh, one fourth down which we didn't convert, and then we punted it one time, and that was it. Every oh, other and, time. And go. on
1: that punt, they fumbled the punt, and we got it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. They muffed the pump. That's true. They did. Um, and I guess there were the two other drives where we threw the interception. You know, so there were. I guess that's four drives where we didn't get Score. points. Right. Every other drive we got points. So that's that's pretty good, I'd say. You know what else I loved? AJ and and and
1: this is something I talked about earlier this season. Okay, they had all kinds of time between plays, and they would they would pan the the camera to Tom, and he's surrounded by two or three wide receivers, and a couple of them take the play, and they run out there. And Tommy waits for those guys to get to the huddle. They huddle up, you know, the the, the play gets transferred, and Tommy sends them up to the line of scrimmage, and they run the play. And I'm thinking, you know what? All this stuff about, oh, somebody's stealing our signals and, you know, the claps instead of the snap to center and all that kind of crap. <laughs> i I tell you what. If you think that's happening, then – run your wide receivers out there with the play in the old school way and see if all of a sudden you start having more success. That might give you a pretty strong indication that your signals
2: are getting stolen. Yeah. We talked about that in a previous podcast that we thought that exactly that, that they just, you know, they, they need to get rid of the clap in and the, you know, all that kind of baloney and just, just, uh, run a guy out there i mean if if you're easy enough to do i mean they know what they're doing so
1: exactly and if you're struggling if you're struggling offensively slow it down make those kinds of changes get the ball rolling in the right direction and then go back to your signals you know why not why not do it that way yeah
0: yeah. Uh, the other funny thing, when they would show Tom on the sidelines, like you're saying, sometimes I was talking about his ride receivers, most of the time he was just standing there chewing his gum with this <laughs> placid expression on his face. Whereas every time they cut to uh Steve Spurrier, uh he like had his hands in his face grimacing. and grimacing just making these funny faces and like it was clear he he, he was being out coached and outpowered and he didn't know what to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know he said as much in the post-game interview as yeah. well. Uh,
1: that, that was the classiest thing I ever saw him do was his, his post-game. He basically admitted that he got him, his hand handed to him in every which way and, and was just
0: dumbfounded. He's like, I have no answer. So let's go back to some memories here. Nebraska wins 62-24, shocking the country with how dominant they were. I don't think anybody expected it to be that dominant. Right. Um, so what, what did you guys do? How did you celebrate that that the, on that day and the days to come after?
2: I was at uh, – we were living in Anchor Point, Alaska at the time. And um, I stayed up all night long re-watching. Uh, the game, parts of the game and ESPN, you know, after that and listening to all the people eat crow. That's what I did all <laughs> night long. It was amazing. It was amazing because they all had to come on and say, hey, you know, this grass thing. It's we were completely wrong. That's the most impressive team that we've ever seen. And a lot of they just kept going and I just kept watching it. I watched it all damn night long. And I don't think I went to sleep till early in the morning the next morning. <laughs>
1: It, you know what's funny, AJ? That's exactly what I did. <laughs> it's it is. like your brothers. It's exactly what I The only difference was, Alex, <laughs> I, I was building Alex. We had a big, huge wood play structure that I was building for Alex. He was two years old. And, uh, and I was in the process of building. I was almost done, right? The platform was there. The slide was in place. I was just doing some finishing touches on the swing set part of it and everything. But I had a bunch of spare wood out there from, you know, the remnant wood. And I went out there and uh, started throwing that wood around. Just throwing it up in the air, just with celebratory energy. At, right after the game was over, I was just so giddy. And uh, and um, um, my neighbor, I made so much noise that my neighbor got up. And then and then a, a few weeks later, he said, you know, hey, I, I, the other night you were you were out there. I was a little worried about you, <laughs> it, didn't know what was going on. So I explained it all to him. So oh, so that's Nebraska fireworks then.
0: <laughs>
1: so now I have a, a piece of wood that he carved for me that says Nebraska fireworks on it. And it's a piece of two by four Wo- womanized
0: <laughs>
2: two by four. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it was funny. We did watch a little bit of like the ESPN post game, and the they did the recap of the game, showing like the big highlights, and the commentary over it was very sarcastic. Like, oh wow, they they got another one on them. Well, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was pretty funny. I have to say. Um, and so, of course, I think then this transitions us nicely into that. Uh, the discussion of whether this 95 Nebraska team really was the greatest of all time. Uh, When you look at the lists that people make of like the greatest college football teams of all time, that 95 team is always in the top five somewhere. Um, But uh, a lot of people also rank the 1971 Husker team up there in that top five too. And sometimes I've seen it where sometimes the 95 teams over 71, sometimes it's the opposite. Right. Um, so what are your guys' thinking on that? Why do you think the 95 team is even better than that 71 team?
1: Well, obviously, whenever they do these best-of-all-time things, you're comparing different eras with different sets of rules and different exactly. strength and conditioning and all that sort of stuff, and the game continues to evolve. So, so you know, um, best-of-all-time is a very uh, difficult thing to describe, but, but – uh, I think that I would choose the '95 team for a number of reasons. Uh, the, the first of which is oh, something we've talked about quite a bit on this pa- podcast already, which is which is the depth for a team that was dealing in the uh, scholarship limit era. Okay, only ninety only '95 scholarships versus back in '70 70 and '71 when we won those championships. I don't think there was any limit. You, you, you know, basically a school could sign as many scholarships as they wanted. Okay, right um, and. Uh, and so they had depth i'm not saying they didn't but if you look at the the depth of of really phenomenal talent i think the 95 team just had more of it right and um uh, uh back in the 70s you still had oklahoma i mean that that game of the century from 71 that oklahoma team was incredibly talented incredibly talented with jack Mildren and and all those guys and uh uh the the Selman brothers and I mean they just had ridiculous talent on an Oklahoma team. But we had Larry Jacobson and uh I mean we it was just there was some really incredible Johnny Rogers, Rogers frontline talent, but but I don't know that uh as many guys, you know, depth players, second teamers and third teamers, I don't know as many of those were a factor in the seventy and seventy one teams. It was really those frontline players that were spectacular, right? Whereas in '95, I think part of the essence of what made them so incredibly good was they could just roll. I mean, entirely. I was talking about this. They would replace the entire offensive line. They would, in the middle of a game, they would put the entire second-string offensive line out there and let them kick ass. And and uh, you know, you just don't see that. Uh, so that's what I thought made the Nebraska team so special. Or '95 one. Um, and that's just comparing those two. I know your question's bigger than that. Yep. But I'll yep. let AJ well, we'll
0: start with respond that, to but, that. Yeah. What do you think, AJ? Yeah, I, I agree with
2: Pete that it, it was a uh, a deal where they had such depth in 95. And you can't, like Pete said, you can't really compare the two different eras. There's quite a bit of difference 20, 20 plus years in between. It's uh, it was a completely different era different strength and conditioning all kinds of things were different but i think overall the talent level at a 95 team was was quite a bit better than that 71 team i just barely remember very little about about the 70 71 teams i i just you know, i was 11 10 11 years old at the time 12 years old um and i remember you know that was just normal that was that's Nebraska football. That's just normal. They win every game, don't they? <laughs> that's, that's what I remember from true. being. Must a, be nice. A, you know. No, you know, it was. Late. It was like you know.
1: Well, uh, and 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 it was through the seventies, man. When we would lose a game, the whole state went into mourning because it happened so <laughs> rarely. It was like everybody's a half mask on the uh, mast on the on the what? flags, and it was like a day of mourning.
0: All right. Yeah, well, and, and I agree with you guys, of course, above all the reasons you said the 95 team is better. I do think it's impressive looking at the 71 schedule, just how dominant the defense was in that era. Yes. You look at the points the other team scored. It's seven, 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 six, zero, zero, 6, The only 13, seven, right. zero, 17, 3, 6. The, ol- the only one that was close was that Oklahoma game. <laughs> right.
2: Alex, they, they had a defensive line that was exceptional. Oh, and I'm trying crazy. to think of the fella's name. Was it? Rich Glover. Rich Glover, yep, and Larry Jacobson. Yeah. And Larry Jacobson. Uh, those guys were amazing. They were. And they could play, you know, uh, I'm sure if they were teenagers now, they could get onto a squad. And just from from uh, being able to go through what kids can go through now and lift and everything, they'd still be great
1: players. Oh, yeah. I, and, well, uh, I, I remember about uh, Rich Glover. I mean, he had a wingspan that was yeah. just massive, right? I, and, and so he yeah. seemed bigger than he even was because right. his shoulders were very broad and he had these big arms. And he would just, I mean, you just couldn't get away from him, right? He was just everywhere because yeah. of that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, one other uh, team I saw getting mentioned quite a bit was the 1972 USC team, yeah. uh, which also had an undefeated season and they played a bunch of top 25 teams in their schedule. Um, but I think we could go into the same discussion we just had about the difference of the era. Yeah. And um, I, I
1: wouldn't put them e- even in my top five. Okay. Fair enough. That's my. But then
0: was that a McKay team beat? Uh,
1: yes, I believe it was John McKay. Yep. Uh, it might have been Robinson's first year, but or second year or something, but I think it's still McKay.
2: OK,
0: uh, and then another one gets brought up a lot, and this is closer in era and we played against them, was the 2001 Miami team. that yes. had a, a ton of talent that went yeah. to the NFL um, and they beat a bunch of top 25 type teams, you know, with dominant uh, point spreads and then played against Nebraska yeah. in the Rose Bowl and beat them 37 to 14. Right. So what do you guys we think? We were about- there,
2: Alex. <laughs> we were there. Yeah.
0: What do you guys think about that team? Um,
1: You know that was a game, uh, or that was a team that, like you said, I believe that team was more talented than '95 Nebraska. Okay, they were more talented, but what they weren't was um, uh, as consistent, and uh, uh, you know, uh, as far as um, uh, being able to do all of the elements of the uh, of a football team. You know, their quarterback on that team, I don't think was all that great. Uh, I, I mean, I know, I think he won the Heisman Trophy, but but I still viewed him as kind of uh, not, not, you know, the difference maker that he could have been. Um, and I feel like because they are close enough in era, if that '95 Nebraska team played the 2001 Miami team, I believe that the Nebraska '95 team wins uh, just because of the dominance we would have we would have taken away some of their greatest strengths uh because they they had an absolutely ridiculous defense too okay but uh they had never faced a f- the physicality uh you know they were playing in uh in that southeast area and they they didn't play the physical teams of the Big 8 or you know the Big 10 uh, mm-hmm. um and I just think that would have been a big adjustment for them yeah but they were they in my opinion are the most talented team of all time
0: mm-hmm.
1: but were the best team
0: Right. And one other thing I saw was that the, uh, that was like the first year of the, that coach's first year was that particular year. So he yes. kind of inherited all he this did. talent. From um, Jimmy Johnson. Right. And they did, they had some dominant victories. Like there's one here against number 14 Syracuse, 59 to nothing. Right. Uh, but, but then but, there are some like against number 14 Virginia Tech where they only won by two, 26-24, or earlier on in the season, Um where was it? Uh, there against Boston College. They won 18-7. Yeah. You know, whereas the, the Nebraska 95 team smoked everybody. everybody.
1: The closest victory we had was a 14-point victory, I think, in the second game of the year against Washington um, um uh, uh, It was against Washington, Washington State. State.
0: Yeah. And it was, it was it looks like it was like the fifth game, actually. But, fifth yeah, game. the 14 okay. points was the biggest, yep. closest anybody got.
1: Right. All of our uh, top uh, 20 uh, wins... We won by twenty plus points. Right. I mean, there wasn't close. Okay.
0: Do you have any thoughts to share on that Miami team, AJ? Yeah,
2: I just, you know, they were uh, just like Pete said, very talented. And and uh, while we were watching the game, you could see throughout. I only saw the first half. I couldn't take it. Um, <laughs> and they were just dominating. I mean, they were. They looked. They looked really, really good. Um, yep. you know, you yep. talked about the Heisman there, Pete, I think, wasn't that the year that, that, uh, our guy won the Heisman?
1: Oh, you know, you're right. It was Eric Crouch was the I Heisman trophy it, winner. Yeah. So that's I, I, well, but yeah. I'm wondering if maybe that quarterback was a junior or something or sophomore and got it the next year, came back yeah. and got it the next year. But, but I just remember not being that overwhelmingly impressed by their offense and cause it relied yeah. so much on that quarterback. And, and I thought, well, he's good, but he's not. Great. Their wide receivers were just ridiculous. And yeah, we, we could they, not and they're tight in.
2: They, they had a tight end that, that was just killing us. Yes. Just killing us.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they had a
2: bunch of NFL players. I mean, they yeah. had a bunch. Yeah, I don't did. know how many it was, but it was it – was, they were some – and not just, you know, guys that made it to the league. They had guys that made it to the league and made it big in the oh, league. Oh, yeah,
1: Ray Lewis and, and – yeah, I mean, they had – They had so many guys. uh, The safety was ridiculously good and will be in the NFL Hall of Fame. And, yeah, I'm going to guess that team probably has four Hall of Famers, if not five.
0: That Miami team definitely was talented, that's for sure. Uh, But the last team I wanted to talk about was the 2004 USC team. Uh, A lot of the lists had them pretty high up, too. And look at their schedule. Once again, they're undefeated, and they had a very dominant victory in the national championship game against Oklahoma, who was number two, uh, 55-19. Though kind of similar to that Miami team, they did have some games that were closer, like against Stanford, they won 31-28, or Cal, 23-17, um, you know, so they had some closer games in there, as well as some really dominant ones you know where they crushed the teams they played uh another talented team that was the Reggie bush team i 'm pretty sure uh so that kind of that era um but do you guys have any additional thoughts on that team? You know again,
1: I think that team had some incredible individual talent you know n f l caliber talent, but again, collectively as an entire team. I don't even think they're close. I think the 2001 team is argu- arguably Miami. Uh, uh, from Miami uh, is arguably a good uh, or a close comparison, uh, but I would not view this uh, USC team as uh, as close. You know, I, they're obviously very, very good, and they were very dominant, but like you said, some of their games, if you watch those games, you wouldn't look at them and say, okay, that that compares with what I – What my eyes told me when I was watching Nebraska just crush everyone that they faced. Right. Um, So, um, and again, it gets back to our schedule then, right? When you're doing comparative schedule strengths, uh, you know, Nebraska's schedule strength that year was tremendous. And we dominated that schedule, you know. It wasn't just, you know, whereas USC, that was in the era of, uh, you know, uh, playing in a a Pac-12 that was watered down, in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Any thoughts from you, AJ?
2: No, he he hit it. You know, other than the uh, Reggie Bush and then their quarterback went on to be an NFL quarterback also. I can't think of his name, but he was pretty doggone good. Uh, But other other than those two, I I just don't really remember much about that team at all. Um, You know, they won a national championship, but, you know, that was all tainted because of the you know reggie was getting paid during that whole thing and everything living, so
1: living with the quarterback in a in a high-rise yeah. uh you yeah. know eighteen hundred dollar a month apartment right
2: <laughs> so i don't know i don't i just don't think that there are anywhere in the in the ballpark with the other teams that you spoke of alex right
0: all right i think that's fair um, so uh, I think we have we've gone through a you know, short analysis here to determine that, yes, indeed, the 95 <laughs> Husker team is the greatest of all time. Absolutely. And unbiased. Uh, <laughs> <analysis>. <laughs> yes. Definitely Did you unbiased. think
2: it was going to come out any differently? No,
0: no. But this is for the listeners. So we 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 we, we, we presented our, our evidence as to why it is the yeah. case. Right. <laughs>
2: you know, it would be interesting to see and I've never seen it. Maybe you guys have if they've actually done a strength of schedule um uh comparison on all what some people think are the best teams at all time. Oh, they you, they you, actually
1: Yes, they have done that, AJ. I mean there there's been a few articles and, you know, where they've done that over a period of time. The ESPN's done it and things like that. And um, uh, uh, until recently, I would say, and there's always a recency bias on on any of those kinds of things, uh, you know, Nebraska 95 has, has been at the top. In fact, on the ESPN one, I think Nebraska 95 was number one and Nebraska 71 was number two. Uh, and well, if you're, if
0: you're talking about like the 150, the like 150 years of college football yeah. list they did, yeah. it was actually, I think it was, because I just looked at that, I think it was actually the 71 team was number okay. one. And then and, and then 95. 95 was like number four,
1: oh, okay. I think, or something like that. Okay, interesting. But yeah, that just the fact that we uh, are fans of a program that has what most people who are in the industry and who would be considered, uh, you know, experts in the field of the history of college football, would say that two of our teams are in the top five all-time of greatest football teams of all time, says something about the program and the consistency that was going on through that 40-year period, uh, starting with Bob Devaney in the early 60s, you know, until the end of the, dec- uh, the, end of the century,
0: yeah yep though to that point there was something that tom said in the one of the pregame interviews that i watched which i thought was fun was they were asking him about you know like repeating national titles and the historical significance of that and you know that that sort of thing and how that was affecting the team and he was like oh really for these players they don't really care much about uh beyond what they had for breakfast this morning you know they don't (laughs) they don't really focus on the history or whatever they're just looking at the next game and plan on winning it you know and I think that's a that's a good truth that speaks to today as well and that you know it's great that Nebraska is a dominant football program of so many decades but it's more about what have you done for me lately and uh, lately Nebraska hasn't been so good so kids memories are short right yeah but uh, I think that leads us nicely into just our final topic, which we'll just be talking a little bit about college football throwdown. You know, this is just a humble little podcast that and I decided to do back in summer of 2015 after I graduated college because we wanted to kind of set something up. I had been doing a podcast at school for about anime and things like that with my friends that I really enjoyed doing. And so I had some experience and we wanted to get something together since I'd be moving to L.A. and uh, being apart from your old pops here. Um, but that was this was a good way for us to still hang out and talk about our uh, shared love of college football. And I know we've had some times where we've gone kind of dark during the offseason and things like that, but we've kept consistent talking about each season and the different things going on nationally, like when the playoff got started and Nebraska's placed in the Big Ten and the recruiting rules changing, et cetera, et cetera, targeting all sorts of stuff. So we talk about some of those more broad national topics, too, and we've made it all the way here to episode 100 here in the year 2020, right at the end. Um, So, Dad, what are some of your favorite memories or particular moments that you remember from past podcasts?
1: Well, the the thing is, is I want to say something about why we did it. You know, I mean, uh, uh, even during uh, all the years before we did the podcast, it was kind of our tradition, to To have a a pretty good father son discussion where where I could get as animated and as uh, uh, loquacious as I wanted to uh, <laughs> that's one word for it uh, <laughs> uh, as uh, on the subject of Nebraska football and what we were doing right and what we weren't doing right and uh, and uh, you know sharing my passion with my son and that that's really what the whole crux of this was and then when we re- when we were recognizing that okay the next phase in Alex's life was about to begin where he was going to embark and go off to California and, and pursue his Hollywood dream. And so, um, um, you know, I said, well, let's do this. And at, at the time we thought, you know, we had a vision that maybe someday, you know, a lot of people would want to listen to this. And, and we've had a, uh, we have a few, uh, regular listeners, if you will, uh, mostly relatives, <laughs> uh, and friends. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the reality is, is that, uh, it's been a therapeutic thing and it's been something for us to continue to build um, you know, a shared bond that that we do. So just that element is what's most valuable and, and why I so enjoy doing it and looking forward to doing it. It's also neat that uh, like you just rattled off. I mean, you think about the amount of change just since 2015 that we have uh, mm-hmm. been able to discuss and and, and observe both in the sport and specifically for Nebraska football. And we've been able to lament and struggle with what Nebraska has had to go through. And and all I can say is is I'm I'm looking forward to a day that I hope is not too far into the future where we do turn that corner and uh, and we are competitive again and we can get excited and you can begin to enjoy some of the more successful experiences of having a team that's competitive and and has a chance to 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 do something special um, so you can feel the sense of that. And you'll also feel the increased aggravation and pain when you lose because that I'm telling you, it's, it's much easier to take a loss now than it was back then. I mean, my life was crushed every time we lost back in, uh, in the, 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 you know, the 90s and even the early 2000s. And so as we were transitioning into this uh, declining performance era, that was extremely difficult for me. Mm -hmm. uh uh, as a fan and to this day it still is something that i struggle with but it's a a lot easier to deal with the losses now because you got to have accept it i mean we're just not where we were but uh there's always the hope of next year and that we're going to take that step and we're going to start reclimbing the mountain because so much of what we need uh is still in place in lincoln the the commitment of the fans the resources um, the the passion uh, within the entire athletic department to support those kids in everything they do to make them the, the best they can be, it's all in place there. There is no doubt in my mind that we are positioned to be successful if we can get the right things rolling. And I think with the tradition and the positive momentum that would happen if we began to win, I I think it would just be overwhelming. I, I, I think you would see the ball roll. Uh, like you would not believe once it started and that's what I keep uh, hoping that you're going to have that experience someday in the not too distant future (laughs) there
0: we go all right Uh, for AJ uh, obviously you haven't been uh, nearly as many of the podcasts as dad and I uh, but we've had you on several different ones over the years you know when you're available or when we're together you know you're coming to visit California what have you so uh, do you have any particular memory that stands out to you
2: well, the, just in general, uh, you guys invited me to be a part of what Pete was talking about. I always took it as an honor that you guys would want me involved in it, um, and it was always enjoyable. I mean, even though the team stumped, we you know we could we could talk, and you always allowed me to to speak freely, and and uh, I've I've always enjoyed it, and I I enjoy listening to it so. Yeah. I just want to say thanks guys.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. AJ was our first commenter, I'm pretty sure on yes. like our early podcast. Yes. We read what he was saying out on the air. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which exactly. is fun. Uh as for me, of course, yeah, it's been a great experience to uh, you know, have a regular thing to talk to dad about college football and you know, I mean it's kind of the whole thinking was, Well, we'd kinda of be doing it anyways, you know, so why not record it and make something more official out of it? Right. Um and uh, I always love the guest episodes, you know, like the ones we would do with AJ or with Brian Clower. Yeah, my uh,
1: good friend from Traverse City. My right?
0: Dad's friend talking about Michigan and like Jim Harbaugh. I remember we did a podcast about that. Um, there was one where we went to a game uh, in Lincoln and then we went to the library with El- Olivia, your, and your daughter, Hayley. my uh, sister, yeah, and Haley, uh, my cousin, and we did it together in the library right after the the game. And that was a fun one. Um yeah. I also distinctly remember the one after the 2018 national title game where uh, you came to—you were in L.A. Uh, for that time, and we were at, went to a sports bar that was near my workplace, and we got to watch Clemson just crush Alabama, which was a joy, and there were Clemson fans at that bar that we— you know, talk to a little bit afterwards and everything. And I remember just enjoying that podcast <laughs> because you got to celebrate Alabama's uh, humiliation a little bit.
1: Right. And, uh, I, and I remember us going to the uh, semi-final game again, Clemson,
0: Alabama, Oh yeah, uh,
1: down in new Orleans, new Orleans uh, in yep. 2017. I think that L- less was less
0: fun one there. Cause yep. Alabama kind of controlled dominated. that whole game, but, but, but just the whole
1: experience of that and being able to hang out and, uh, uh, Peyton Manning's bar, and then we ended up doing the podcast, I think, in the RV, if I remember correctly. Yep, uh, yep. Sure um, we did. Uh, from the RV. So so it's been neat to be able to do it from a lot of different locations and venues, uh, sometimes together, uh, most of the time apart, uh, but it, it's it's been a connection. And it's been it's been a lot of fun, and uh, and uh, you know we uh, we we look forward to continuing to do it. Um, I love some of the ones you mentioned. They, they would probably uh, fall in the category of some of my favorites as well. Um, I'm just trying to think of any other one that would would you know categorize as as the favorite. But you know there there have been some favorite rants I would say <laughs> that that I have had over the years that uh, that I would love because there's so many things that. Well, uh, the the most recent one that hasn't even been aired. Well, I'll just da- I'll uh, dangle this one. Preview it, and that is that. You know, and, and I uh, our brother Mike AJ has said this many times, uh, who who was an assistant coach at uh, at a major college football uh, school and um, uh, the Big Eight, and uh, he said, you know, you guys wasted your lives doing what you're doing because you guys should have been football coaches because of the passion that we. Share and, and have for this game, and you know I always poo-poo that, but but you know uh, having watched this recent season, I, you know and and thinking back on the number of times that I say, these are high school issues. How, how is it that we're dealing with this when this a good high school coach knows this stuff? And I'm, I've gotten to the point now where I feel like it's true that I think in, in in a in a different set of circumstances or universe that 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 I could have been a good football coach and and coached at a high level and um, even to this day I know enough about college football that I could I could go and make the phone calls to you know 10 other coaches that I know are great coaches that are out of the game or uh, or that would be thrilled to coach at Nebraska and I could go into there in some magical moment become Nebraska's head football coach and then surround myself with a staff that was tremendous and then we'd go out there and get the, this thing going in the right direction. Now, it might not win national titles, but it sure as hell would win a lot more games than we're winning right now. Yeah. And that's, a, that's something I used to just think was, was pie in the sky. But I'm now more convinced than ever that I think there's a lot of truth to it because I'm seeing these crazy, stupid high school mistakes going on that, that uh, shouldn't be happening with the resources and, and what's available in Lincoln.
0: Yeah. Well, as long as you bring AJ in on the defensive staff, I think that's where he'd like to be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. I'm all about the black shirts, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you are. Um, and we want to give a special thank you to Kathy Nelson, who is a friend of ours from Traverse city and who designed our very nice college football throwdown logo for us by yes. like the second episode. I think we had that yes. rolling for us. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been a great effort of the full Schmitz family here and different friends to uh, put together this podcast and keep it going for all this time and hopefully for another 100 episodes. That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll have to do something extra special for 200 when we get there. So there we go. So thank you again for uh, co-hosting with me, Dad, and for sticking with me for 100 episodes. And thank you, AJ, for being our guest on this special celebratory episode. I'm honored. All right. And uh, until next time, go go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.